This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. We are launching a new series, as many of you know, that I've been looking forward to for, for quite some time, and my wife spoke accurately that whenever we do a series on relationships, oftentimes we, like the week leading up to it, we just have these unbelievable blowouts. And, and as she said, like the series ain't over yet, so there's still time. So be praying for us. But we're launching into this series, and really the whole goal of this series on relationships is we kind of look at marriage and at relationships and at, at love and how we deal with intimacy. And yes, of course, sex. There it is. Hide your kids. Hide your wives. Actually, don't hide your wives. You need your wives for that. But we're going to talk about all of it. But here's what I want you to know as we dive into this material that can really be a source of great uh, pleasure. It can also be a topic of great pain when not handled correctly, when not handled the way that God wants us to. And so the beating heart really of this, this relationship uncensored series is not to beat you up, but to build you up. Is so that you would protect tomorrow by living carefully today. That's really the goal, that you would leave this series or in the next few weeks with a bigger picture, a bigger view of, of the job that you have to do, the hard work that you have to do to protect yourself today so that tomorrow doesn't hold a bunch of regrets, doesn't hold a bunch of disappointments, doesn't carry with it uh, a bunch of heartache and sadness. We're going to protect tomorrow by living carefully today. This comes from Paul. He talks about this in Ephesians 5. He says, so be careful then how you live, like now, not like fools, but like those who are wise, making the most of every opportunity. Paul is saying that life is flat, flashing by. It's moving by so quickly, and I know you're young, and I know you feel like that you have forever, you have a lifetime to live, he says, but if you blink today, tomorrow is going to be here. It's going to be here before you know it. The future's coming, so right now, be smart. Right now, be careful. Right now, live with wisdom, live intentionally and vigilantly, be careful today, because when tomorrow does come, when the future does come, and, and you don't like your future, well, it's kind of your fault because you have everything to do with the future that you are creating. That's, that's what he's telling us. And so that's the beating, pulsing heart of this series is to open up our eyes, to remove the window dressing, to, to get real, to get raw, and to learn to live and learn to love intentionally today with a mind toward the future. And here's where we're gonna start with a story in John chapter four. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. John chapter four, verse one. If you don't have your Bible today, uh, feel awkward. No, don't do that, don't feel awkward. <laughs> it's gonna be right here on this giant 
thing next to me. So John chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. So already we're, we're jumping into a little competition. It says, though, Jesus himself didn't baptize them. His, his disciples did. Don't you love this? There's this argument breaking out about who's baptizing more. Like, like John, is John baptizing more? Is Jesus, his disciples, baptizing more? And you know, since guys are involved, there's scorekeeping, there's competition, you know, going on. And Jesus' disciples were probably playing right into this. Well, we baptized 42 this week. We heard you only baptized 12. And one was pregnant and you counted her twice. Not fair, right? <laughs> and the Pharisees are getting involved in this, you know, because they're like, hey, hey, you, you didn't even go to our rabbi school. Neither one of you guys did. You're not even doing it the way that, that we would do it. What's happening here from the start? All the stuff that happens when religion is involved. Backbiting, um, arguing, bragging, nitpicking, all those kinds of things. So what did Jesus do? Verse three, he left. He's like, deuces, I'm out, right? Says he went to uh, return to Galilee. He left Judea. Jesus said, you know what? I'm not a big fan of this type of stuff. You, something you should know is Jesus never gets caught up in these religious kinds of arguments. Hey, should the, the baptism water be 84 degrees or 87 degrees? Actually, both of those are way too cold, like 120, that'd be good. Should the communion juice be leaded or unleaded, if you know what I'm saying? You know, should the deaconesses, you know, read out of the, the New King James Version or the, the original King Jimmy? Jesus is not a fan of these kinds of arguments, these kinds of discussions. He says, I'm out of here. Jesus, why, why are you out of here? Because there are hurting and lost people, and I'm going to go find them. That's Jesus' heart. There's someone that's going to drink themselves into a hole tonight. There's a, a young girl who is starving herself to try and make herself feel beautiful. I'm going to go find her. I'm going to go find him, and I'm going to tell him I love them just the way they are. You should know that about Jesus. He's not concerned with this stuff. He wants nothing to do with the fighting, with the splitting hairs, with the discussing the finer points of, of theology. He's not interested in church politicking, church hopping, or church shopping. None of that. He says, I'm going to go find the one lost sheep, someone far from God. I love that. He says he left Judea, returned to Galilee. Verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on his way. Circle that word, had doesn't say he happened to. He says he had to. Verse 5, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field of Jacob, gave his son, near the field of Jacob, gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well. It was about noontime, so this is midday. This is during the, the hottest time of the day. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. They were hungry. They needed some snacks. So they took off. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So right off the bat, this is scandalous. Not only would you not talk to a woman alone, but you definitely wouldn't talk to a Samaritan. And so she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to. Hey, by the way, Jesus is the only one who can talk like this. Like, if you only knew that I'm the gift of God to you. Some of you guys tried this on somebody last night at the bar. 
hey girl, if you only knew I'm God's gift, that didn't work, did it? You should stop that. Is what he said. Uh, if you only knew where I'm losing my place, if you only knew the gift God has for you, who you're speaking to, he said, you would ask me and I would give you something much better. I would give you living water. But sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket. This well is very deep. Today, if you go there, it's about 70 feet, 70 or 80 feet deep. Who knows how deep it was then? Where would you get this living water from? Notice she's being literal and he's being eternal. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestors, Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and even the animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give them will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling, living spring, an eternal spring of life inside of them. I love that. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. That's what I'm looking for. So I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to the well. Totally missing the point. So verse 16, Jesus says, all right, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. The woman replied, you're right. He said, you don't have a husband. If we stopped here, you might think that, you know, she kind of was let off the hook. She's like, you know, I'm glad we got by that. You know, let's change the subject. But verse 18 says, for you have had five husbands. Uh Uh-oh. And you're not even married to the man you're shacking up with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. I bet she said that, right? (laughs) Notice what she says now. Jesus has just read her mail. And a lot of times we see this and think, all right, well, this is, this is a smoke screen. This is her going into defense mode, perhaps changing the subject. But I want to offer you a different interpretation of this. So I want you to kind of highlight this area. We'll come back to it. She says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship? While we Samaritans claim it's right here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it won't matter if you worship God the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here right now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's who he's looking for, those who will worship him that way. That's what he's doing today, by the way. The Bible tells us that his eyes are scanning to and fro, looking throughout the world and wanting to show himself strong to those who would, whose hearts are uh, upright towards him. That's what he's doing. He's looking for those kinds of worshipers. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, which means the sent one, which means the anointed one. When he comes, he's going to explain all of this to us. In other words, like that's where our hope is. All of our desires, all of our dreams, everything will be fulfilled in and through him. Watch what Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Boom, mic drop moment right there, right? Like, I'm him. I'm the one you're talking about. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them, I love this, had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The disciples learned a valuable lesson. Every time they would question Jesus in public, often public ridicule would follow. And so they're kind of learning, hey, let's ask him about this a little later. It says this, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, hey, you got to come and see 
this man who told me everything I ever did, could he possibly be the Messiah so that people came out of the village to see him? If you kept reading the story, you would see that that because of this, that through this, because this woman left her water jar and she ran and told everyone she could, that an entire village experienced this, this revival. And that this woman at the well, this woman who had been with, with, with five guys, she's on her, her sixth guy, plays an important part in all of this because she left her water jar and ran and told everyone about Jesus. Did you know an encounter with Jesus will give you a purpose that you weren't even prepared for? It'll give you a purpose that you didn't even plan on. And this woman was a part of bringing this living water, not just to her heart, right, but to this entire village because of this encounter she had with Jesus. This is an incredible story. She went to the well hoping for one thing, but she happened upon something else. She hoped for water, but she happened upon something much greater just because Jesus, quote unquote, had to go through Samaria. God, I pray that this word would come alive in our lives. I pray that this word, we, we would study it, we would look into it, God, and that each one of us would get exactly what you have for us today in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thank you, Allah. Man, it always sounds better when somebody's playing like keys behind you. Doesn't it sound better? Just being honest, that's why we do it. Like, it's not spiritual. I mean, maybe a little bit. It just sounds better, all right? Hope is a powerful thing. Uh, hope hope in, in, in faith, hope in our relationships can be a, an extremely powerful thing. Like what we believe to be true about something can really shape um, the outcome of it. Our, our negative or positive kind of approach to the future, approach to something um, can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if, if you have a meeting on Monday that you're dreading and you go into it thinking, man, I don't want to be here. Like, this is going to be a royal waste of my time. This meeting is going to just absolutely, you know, stink. I, it's just, I don't want to be here. Well, oftentimes, that's going to be your experience. It's going to color. It's going to shape that meeting. You're going to get out of it kind of what you expected to go into it with. But if I go into it, believing for better, like hoping for better, I, I wish we would adopt this perspective, you know, in our life, in those areas of our life that we weren't, didn't wish we were in. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's going to, to school. Maybe, maybe it's coming to church and you just show up and say, you know what, as long as I'm here, I want to get out of it whatever you want to give me. As long as I'm here, you know, God, use me, speak to me, whatever it is you want to do. Hope is a powerful thing, but hope can go very, very wrong when you place your hope in something or someone who was never intended to handle it, who was never intended to, to carry the weight of your hope. hope. Hope can also be a powerful thing on that. And hope, has anyone ever kind of built up a movie to you? Like kind of hyped something up and that you were hoping it was just going to be unbelievable. They're like, hey, you got to go see... Uh, you know, this movie, it's incredible, it's gonna change your life. And so you buy a ticket, you go see G. Lee with Ben Affleck and J-Lo, and it's like 90 minutes of wanting to poke your eyes out, right? Like the younger people, what is that? Like, it's awful, you don't wanna know, worst movie ever. But you had this hope, you know, that it was gonna be this amazing thing. And I think a lot of times, marriage and relationship is all too easy for us to walk into with these unrealistic expectations. 
placing our hope for happiness in a person or in something. And as a result, we are guaranteed to be let down. What, what did you hope for? At 23 years old, I hoped that when I said I do, and when Kristen said I do at the altar, then like we'd pretty much be doing the do like all day and all night. You know what I'm talking about? Sex, all right, I'm just let's throw it out there. I thought when I got married at 23, I was gonna have sex like six times a day on off days, right? Like it was just gonna be crazy. And it's funny looking back on it now, I was listening to a, a, a Justin Bieber song, Don't Hate On Me, Don't Judge Me. I'm a believer, I love Bieber. But he had this song that was like skyrocketed number one forever, What Do You Mean? Is that what it's called? I think it's called What Do You Mean? But there's a line in this song that says, you want to argue all day and make love all night. And at 23 years old, that sounds amazing. (laughs) At 43 years old, that sounds exhausting. (laughs) Right? Doesn't it? Like, not not the argue all day part. Like, we've had those days, and I can do that. But make love all night? And I get tired thinking about that, right? Like 21, 22 minutes tops, and I'm, I'm like, you know, cuddles, hug, hug, roll over, I need to go to sleep, all right? I got some Netflix to watch, or, you know. But that's just the difference between a 23-year-old, right, and, and a 43-year-old. It's marriage is one of those things that's easy to to go into. Relationships are easy to go into and have all of our hopes being shaped by by TV, by by movies, by by music of what it's going to be like. And then we get there and we find out that that what we had hoped for, you know, is not really the case. That that no guy is like Jack on This Is Us, by the way, ladies, all right? (laughs) Jack is not even like Jack. It's fictional. This woman at the well in John chapter 4 is clear evidence of that fact. Jesus said that she had been in and out of five different relationships, five different relationships. And the one that she was living with now, he wasn't any good either. And so she, what do you suppose caused this woman to continually place her hope in this person, expecting one thing, but getting another, placing her hope that this time it's going to be different, that this guy is going to be different, that things are going to change? Like, what was it? Could it be that, that maybe she was addicted, like many of us, to infatuation? And the moment that those butterflies kind of wore off, uh, the commitment to the relationship dissolved as well? Could it be that, that the commitment ran no deeper than those initial fireworks? Whatever the case was, five different occasions, five different times, what she hoped for was far different from what she experienced to the point where now she's like, oh, I might as well just settle. Might as well just shack up with this guy, just live with him, not even get married, which, by the way, you do know that cohabitation uh, does not help a marriage that comes out of it. It actually, uh, for the simple reason that, well, number one, um, if he's getting the milk for free, what makes you think he's going to buy the cow? Just saying. It does say relationship uncensored, all right, people? (laughs) And for number two, it's statistically proven that relationships born out of cohabitation do not make it the long haul, do not make it the, the distance. So here she was. 
Maybe like many of us in this room today, placing our hope for happiness, our hope for wholeness in a person, not realizing that there is a heaviness associated with our, our hope. In fact, that's a title if you want to jot that down for our message today. There's a heaviness of hope. And I'm not talking about counting on someone. Counting on your husband, counting on your your wife, counting on that person you're in a relationship with. You should count on them, but you shouldn't place your ultimate hope in them. And when we do that, we falsely put this weight on someone who was never meant to handle it. In fact, one of our, our false hopes is that marriage, write this down, will make me whole. Marriage will make me whole. A lot of us falsely believe that marriage, if I put my hope in, if I put my weight in my marriage to make me whole, then what I'm setting myself up for ultimately is for failure, is for a big crash, is a collapse. Uh, I guarantee you, if you walk into a relationship believing that, that putting your hope for, for some, somebody to fill this hole in your heart or fix this, this need in your life to be met in a person, you're going to end up lonely hoping that that person is the cure for your loneliness. Why? Because marriage does not solve the problems in you. It reveals them to you. And often, it leaves more cracks along the way, hoping that marriage is going to Fill needs in your life as a single person uh, is just as faulty as believing that bringing kids into a marriage is going to fix a broken marriage. It doesn't work that way. It reveals more, more problems. It reveals more cracks in our lives. That's because every time you add a person to your life, what you're doing with maybe out knowing, without knowing it is installing a security camera. Did you know that? Like that's what you're doing. Every time you add a person, like I had no idea how selfish I was until I got married. I had no idea. I was always selfish. I was just alone in my selfishness. Like I was living on my home. I was in an apartment I paid 400 bucks for a week. I didn't make the bed. Who makes the bed, right? Like I didn't clean the kitchen. You know, nobody was over. Why would I do that? I didn't wash, you know, the, the, the bed clothes. I didn't, I didn't clean the bathroom. You know, I thought those things were self-cleaning. And then I got married and I realized how much I didn't know. Because now I had someone in my life always there watching me saying, hey, you can't leave your underwear on the floor. Hey, you know, you need to hang up your towel. Hey, um, you know, you should wash your, your, your bed clothes more than once uh, every few months. And, and you shouldn't call them bed clothes because that's really weird. <laughs> that's what I learned in my marriage, by the way. That's what we called them growing up. And so I got married, and all this stuff that I never knew I wasn't doing right, I was informed <laughs> that I wasn't doing them right. Because when I installed a wife, when you install a wife, you're installing a video surveillance system. <laughs> and by the way, every subsequent child, you're adding another camera to that system, right? <laughs> and so my house is full of video surveillance. Like all the time, my kids are watching me, listening to me, you know, saying things like, Dad, I, I technically think that, that crap is a swear word. And I'm like, oh, you're listening to me. <laughs> always. You're like, Alexa, you're always on, always listening to me. And that's because tying the knot will not provide what's missing in your life. What it does, it often shines 
a brighter light on the empty spaces. But we falsely believe that this person is going to make me whole. And Jesus said, whoever drinks this water is just going to get thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water of this world is just going to get thirsty again. And I'm not talking about just in our marriage, but, but anything. In other words, he's saying that anything this world has to offer will never permanently satisfy. A person can't. You can't put your hope in, in your money. You can't put your hope in, in a relationship or in having, in having sex or, or anything other than that. Why? Because physical things cannot satisfy spiritual desires. It never works. It's this emptiness that, that we have. So it's, it's, it's a false hope to believe that marriage is going to make you whole. Another false hope is that I can have strength without a strong foundation. It's a weight. And it's all too, too heavy that no one was able to handle it. That I can have strength without a strong foundation. In other words, I can build uh, our, our marriage, our relationship on sand expecting the strength of stone. That I can build my relationship on, on sand expecting the strength and stability when the inevitable storm shows up of stone. At least that's what Jesus told us, right? In Matthew chapter seven, he said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and torrents and floodwaters rise, the winds beat against the house, it will not collapse because it's built on that bedrock. It's built on that firm foundation. So when the storm is finally over, the house remains, right? The anchor will hold. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey, like if you build it on anything else than my word, than my instruction, it's foolish. Like a person who builds on Sand. In other words, it might look good. It might, it might hold up for a little while. It might look good for the, the housewarming, right? And people coming over and, you know, going through the house. Oh, I love what you did with the place. You know, I love the shiplap on the walls, the subway tile. There's too much Chip and Joanna gains in my house. It might look good on the outside, but what happens, he says, when the storm comes, when the rains and the floods come, the winds beat against that house, well, how long, Colby, before the storm shows up? I don't know. You tell me. Like, how long did it take for you? Six months? A year? Maybe it won't show up for two years? But it's not a matter of, of will it. It's a matter of it's going to. Like, when it shows up. One day the wind's going to pick up. One day uh, the, the rain's going to start beating down. One day, you know, shingles are going to fly off and water's going to start seeping through uh, the roof. Or maybe the basement is flooding right now and you don't even know it's flooding because you, you failed and neglected to inspect the foundation. He says the rain is going to come. So when that storm comes, listen to what Jesus says. Not only is it going to fall, but it will collapse with a mighty crash. Mighty crash, like just as powerfully as it was erected in the first place, just as powerfully as the relationship started, it's going to dissolve, a mighty crash. God, why is my marriage falling apart? God, why is my relationship dissolving? Because that's sand that you built on. Well, here's some sand that we, that we build on oftentimes, um, chemistry, write that down. Chemistry. 
You know, people will build on chemistry. Like, like when we're around each other, and sparks just fly. It's unbelievable. We don't have to even say anything. It's just this, this feeling of electric. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> chemistry. We'll build on chemistry. Like, I, I've, I've taken chemistry class, right? Things blow up in chemistry class. <laughs> That's sand. That's saying other things people build on our attraction. Well, we're just so attracted to each other. Like whenever we're around each other, we, we can't keep our hands off of each other. We can't stop sucking face, right? It's just, it's just unbelievable how attracted we are. That's great, but that's sand too. No, 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 you don't understand. My guy, he's so hot, I had to swipe right on him. He's just so amazing. <laughs> we build on uh, attraction. And by the way, you do know that how he looks today is not how he's going to look 24 years from now. You know that, right? Like, guys, you do know that how she looks today, you know, is not how, like, she's been eating nothing but celery for 18 months, <laughs> trying to fit into that wedding dress, right, and spray tanning. Like, if you're building on attraction, if you're building a relationship on a picture of what it looks like when you... You met? Hey, what about when it doesn't look that way anymore? Hey, what about when, when sh she has a stroke? Or what about when he's in a, a car accident and he can't walk anymore and you're, you're, you're taking care of him? Or, or when something else happens, are you, are you building on, 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 a, on a firm foundation, something that can withstand some hurricane force winds? Like attraction is, is just sand, it's just sand. Uh, something else people build on is common interests. Common interests. Oh, Colby, but we both love football. <laughs> like, we're both super big Eagles fans ever since they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, we, we both have matching Foles jerseys. I mean, if that's not a rock foundation, right, I don't know what is. That's, that's rock right there. Like, for real? You're telling me that your, your love for the Eagles or your, your common interest in the, the Steelers, every time I say that, I get like a puke bubble. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Like you're telling me. That, that your love for a sports team is going to help you withstand the moment that you're standing over the grave of someone that, that you love as you bury them. That's really gonna hold up in a storm? Like, like if you, you're burying your mother, your father, or, or worse yet, even a child? Like that's what's gonna hold up? No, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground, right, is sinking sand. There is no other foundation other than Jesus that we are to build on. It's a false hope. And it doesn't work any other way. It's the only foundation. And by the way, all this other stuff is great. Like chemistry, that's great. Attraction is great. Common interests, those are all great. But not one of these holds a candle to a man or to a woman who is willing to bow their knee to Jesus, to seek him first in his kingdom, and then everything else will be added. And the reason I say that is because I've seen usually young lady after young lady justify their decision to date an unbeliever 
Because here's what they say, I, I know I'm going to be the one that finally bridges that gap and leads them to Jesus. But you don't, you don't understand, he's so close. He's so close that I'm going to be that one. How exactly are you going to be that one? By compromising your beliefs and your values? Is that how you're gonna do it? By, by saying that there are parts of God's, God's word that are gray that certainly are not gray? Like, that's really what's gonna lead that person to Jesus? I talk to people all the time that justify that decision to date an unbeliever or uh, even eventually get married to them, and they wake up one day destroyed, crushed, overwhelmed, depressed, because they had no idea how hard it would be to wake up Sunday mornings all alone, gather their kids together, feed them breakfast, get them dressed, get them in the car, and take them to church by themselves only to come, back to come back home to the underhanded comments of how was your God time today? How was your, you know, are you a changed woman now that you went to church? They had no idea how hard it would be to, to build a marriage, to build a relationship when they had nothing other than a sports team as a common interest. You cannot build on sand expecting the benefit of the rock. Like, it's an unrealistic hope. And I would just encourage you, like, in your search for Mr. Right, in your search for Mrs. Right, you need to be like Adam. Adam was asleep when God brought Eve to him. Adam was, the Bible tells us, resting in the Lord. Like, that's what you need it to be in your relationship. You need to be resting in the Lord. Your hope is not in someone else to make you whole. Your, your hope really is in God. And then one day you wake up and you look up, and there he is. There she is right in front of you. And together you build your life on the firm foundation of Jesus. Is this helping anybody? I hope it is. I hope it is. And I will say this. By the way, for all you single guys in the room, like, what's wrong with you? Like, for real, we've done the heavy lifting of assembling all the young, beautiful, godly women into one church. <laughs> like, no, I'm serious. Like, pull up your pants, put down the controller, right? And, like, look her in the eye and ask her out on a date. Like, they are here. Like, there's godly women here. Just saying. Like, what are you waiting for? Rise up, oh, men, and let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Don't text message them, will you go out with me? Don't Facebook poke them, I don't know if that's still a thing. Like, I feel like every week, I just, I'm getting older and older and older. <laughs> Facebook poke, Geely, I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I'm maturing in the Lord, that's what it is, I'm maturing in the Lord, just say <laughs> Or maybe I'm not, so I'm maturing. All right, all right, another false hope. After saying I do, I'm all done. After saying I do at the altar, we was getting closer. I'm all done. We falsely believe that marriage doesn't take work, that I can coast now. I love what Andy Stanley said. He said, marriage is not um, turnkey or maintenance-free. And if you'd come up to me and say, Colby, well, my, my marriage isn't working, this, this, this isn't, uh, my relationship isn't working, I would probably say it's, it's because you're not. Because you're not working at it. It takes work. 
Like what would happen, honestly, if you approached your, your, your job, your career, like you approach coming home? Would you still have a job or a career? Like, what are you doing? How much effort are you putting into having the kind of marriage that you want to have? Because here's what I know. Anything that you're good at, like, you can show me the steps that you've taken to get good at it. Like, if, if your golf game is getting better, right, it, it's, the, it's the countless hours you spend, you know, golfing. It's, it's maybe the new equipment, the money you've spent doing it. It's the tutorials. It's, it's the coaching. If you're hunting, is getting better than it's the hours you're spending in the woods, like licking soil and smelling for, I don't know what you guys do, like smelling for varmints, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> or it's the new equipment that you've purchased, right? If you're, if you're be- becoming a better hunter, if, you're, if your bench press is increasing, your, your max is increasing, well, it's the hours that you spend at the gym, it's the, it's the protein shakes. It's, it's what you put into it. Agreed? Like, you should be able to show me, like, the steps you've taken to, to get better in those things. So what are you doing to expend effort to make your marriage the marriage that you want? Like, what are you doing? Can you show me? Can you show me in your checkbook? Can you show me in your calendar? Because anything we value, we spend money on and we spend time on. Well, I don't have time. And I don't have, I don't have money. I can't get, a, can't get a, a, a sitter. No, you just don't value it enough to do it. So can you show me? Show me by, by uh, what you've, uh, when we talk about groups, when we talk about joining a serve team, often the pushback is I don't have time. You know, I just can't do it right now. Let's be honest. You just don't value it. In fact, I, I'd say this. If somebody offered you Super Bowl tickets for free, you would quit your job, leave your family, do whatever you had to do, right? You're going to the Super Bowl. We value what we spend our money on. It's not good enough to say, well, my marriage is falling apart, you know, but I'm becoming a really good hunter. Really? Great marriages aren't built on hope. They're built on effort, and if you care about your marriage, you're going to spend time on it. You're going to spend uh, money investing in it. You're going to do what you can to take, take uh, a, a vacation, just, just you and your spouse, without the offspring, because that's not a vacation, if you bring those things along, right? <laughs> like, invest in it. Well, Colby, that's, that's good, but sometimes people say, I'm not sure we care about each other. We've kind of fallen out of love. Well, fall back in it. You know, pull up your big boy pants, and just because you don't feel love doesn't mean you don't make the decision to love. Oftentimes, you, you make the choice first, and the feelings follow. Love her, love him anyway. Here's the last one as we land this beast. Um, don't, don't put it up there yet. In fact, I want to I wanna throw that verse up there. I'm going to mix it up on you guys in the back. Um, just when Jesus uh, was sitting at the, the, the well with this woman and he finally cuts to the heart of the issue. I don't think it's just about the, the five guys and, and the sixth guy that she's, she's living with. I, I think it was deeper than that, that her heart of hope 
her was found in something else because her, her immediate response in verse verse 20, when you first look at it, it doesn't make much sense. It kind of seems like um, it is a smoke screen. It kind of seems like she's just kind of dodging the, the subject and wanting to change the issue. So all of a sudden she becomes this expert in religion. At least that's what it appears like. She says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim. I'm gonna have the, the band come out and we're gonna close this thing down. Mount Gerizim, this well was kind of like the spot. If you were a Samaritan, if you were searching, if you were trying to fill some hole in your heart, in your life, if you were looking for God, like this is where you would go. And she hadn't found it in, in guy after guy after guy, relationship after relationship after relationship. She was still searching for it, still looking to place her hope in something else. So what does she do? She, she goes to the place where, hey, well, this is, this is what we do. We go to this mountain. We try to get as close to God as we can. Location, location, location. Jesus shows up, sits right beside her, walks into her world, into her life, and says it's not really about location, location, location. It's about a person. It's about me. He says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're talking about. I'm the, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And so we falsely, a lot of times like this woman, believe that it's religion that will ultimately rescue me. And finally it shatters. After we placed our hope in in everything and everyone else, in relationship after relationship, guy after guy after guy. Hey, here it is, my marriage. That's what's gonna make me whole. Like, like you complete me, not realizing that marriage is not about completion of self, but oftentimes it's about deletion of self. That that doesn't work. Or I, you know what, I can have strength without this, this strong foundation that I can build my life on, on sand, expecting it to last, expecting it to weather storms, but it's a false, a false hope that we have where after saying I do, I don't have to work anymore. Then my marriage is just going to happen. I don't have to put forth effort not realizing that great marriages uh, aren't, aren't just hoping for it, but it's working towards it or religion is going to rescue me. When all else fails... It's God. It's following the rules. It's following the regulations. It's, it's getting as close to the mountain as I can. And she finds that that's a false hope as well. And Jesus pulls up beside her and says, it's only me. That there's nothing else. That I'm the one that I can withstand the storms. That I can hold strong. That I will remain. That when all else fails, that I will last. It's just the relationship in me and me alone. Don't you love that? I love that. And here's the thing, all this brokenness, all this, these shattered pieces that we experience when we put our, our, our ultimate hope in a person, Jesus covers over. And that's why this message needs to end with an invitation with an opportunity for you too to say, you know what, I put my hope in everything else, but now's the time to put my hope in Christ, in Christ alone, that at his name,
as I confess the name of Jesus, as I don't look to religion, I don't look to my marriage to make me whole, you know, I don't look to, to coasting through this, none of that works, but it's Jesus alone. I wanna give you that chance right now, bow your head. All over this room, those of you that have placed your hope or tried to place your hope in so many different things in your life, today you realize the only thing that can hold it, the only one who can support it, the only one who can handle it, that can ultimately sustain our hope is Christ alone. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. That Jesus died for all that stuff that we carry and that we can lay that down, even our brokenness, we can lay it down, we can stop playing the game of religion. And we can have this vibrant, growing, healthy relationship with God. And as we confess Jesus as Lord, the Bible says that he will save us, that we are made new, that all those broken pieces, God doesn't see that anymore. All he sees is his son. And so if that's why you're, you're here today, because you need a fresh start, you need the covering over all of our brokenness and all of our, 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 our shattered dreams and everything that we failed at well, one moment, putting our faith and our trust in Jesus alone can rescue us and save you. Not, not just so that you have a great eternity one day, but so that you can live fully today. You could put your hope in something today that lasts. If that's you today all around this room, every head bowed, every eyes closed, if this is the day you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone, would you raise your hand? Just hold it up high. I just want to pray with you, whoever that is. Hold it up high, hands all over this room, saying today is my moment that I'm going to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin, for salvation, for eternal life, and so that I could live a fully devoted follower of his today, right now, making me new and whole. Awesome, put your hands down. In fact, this is what I want us to do, our entire church, those of you who are following Jesus, those of you who are giving your life to Jesus, those of you who are maybe recommitting, let's all pray this together. Let's help those around us. In one voice, just repeat after me, Jesus, today, I put my hope in you. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Thank you for dying for me, for saving me, for rescuing me. Forgive me of my sin. And I put my hope in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with those. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.